0: Whatever y'all did on the back-to-back
1: in L.A., don't do it tonight. That team wasn't better than us. Be ready. It's easy, what you mean? Because I kind of had it going.
0: Give me a chance to be great, I want to be great.
1: Some people call those winning characteristics. A group of hungry individuals. It ain't sweet. He can do everything. He's just nice. You trying to put the league on notice. I'm not that excited because we got more to do so welcome to the wolves watch podcast I'm Dan Radke and I'm joined as I always am by my co-host Ricky Jim Rick how are you this Sunday I'm doing well man back by popular
0: demand Uh, everybody wants us to talk about the the bills and the Bengals getting together again today (laughs) Niners Cowboys and um, so we we've taken that feedback and we're we're here to talk about the Rockets and the Timberwolves last night
1: Exactly. Exactly. I'm sure our, our uh, listenership will not be impacted at all by the uh, by the divisional playoffs that are going to be going on this afternoon. But uh, we are two weeks from our last uh, release. We released on January 8th. We're recording this on Sunday, January 22nd. And the Wolves are 5-3 and three since the last time we recorded. They're 8-3 and three since the start of the year. So they've gone on a nice little run here. And as Rick mentioned, they're coming off a win at home last night against Houston. And we're not going to talk too much about the the Houston game specifically. I will say this, it was Anthony Edwards' uh highest point total of the season and also like his most balanced performance in my opinion of the season on both ends of the floor. He was unbelievable last night. And uh and I y- you and I don't really talk about Ant nearly enough just because it's 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 known what Anthony Edwards is. Um and so it's it's kind of a waste of breath to spend a ton of time talking about how good he is. But, uh, but last night without Anthony Edwards kind of taking that game over, uh, it was very possible that we lose to Houston for the, you know, we've struggled with Houston this year. So a loss was, was very possible last night had Anthony Edwards not completely taken over. I love that dude. He was, yeah. And
0: I think, yeah, Houston, I think at this point, widely considered to be the worst team in the NBA. And I suppose if they are not the worst team in the NBA, then it would either be Charlotte or San Antonio, two teams that, uh, have the Wolves number. So um, <laughs> really weird team. Profoundly yeah, weird. Absolutely. Team. But uh, yeah, and obviously fantastic last night. Uh, ball going in. well I remarked to my wife last night, and I actually think this is very impressive. I remember hearing KD say somewhere, and I may have been on a podcast, maybe it was an interview or something. You know, basically the, the gist of it was he doesn't, ever have like these super high scoring games that get offset by inconsistency that ends up with him averaging about 30. He says like, you know, I'm consistent. I'll give you 30 every night. And that's what he, that's where his pride is, is that he's, he's steady every single night. And Anthony Edwards, quite frankly, for a young player is very steady. You know, he's in, especially in this last like two months of games, he's falling between you know 20 to 30 points a game which for a 21 year old not to have too many stinkers in there is great the flip side of that is with all of these guys in the NBA and it's been remarked upon a lot and it was on the broadcast last night going for huge scoring games I have personally been waiting for Ant to go for 40 go for 50 Um, and so to see him really get hot and then take take the amount of shots necessary and that's the other thing honestly that you got to give credit to anthony edwards for because even you know certainly coming into the draft the the analysis was wrong and then even in his first season plus on the team you know we're you know you think about him as being you know you take the good with the bad and there's going to be some inefficiency but he's really doing it on not a crazy amount of shots which is really impressive and so to see that volume just go up a little bit last night and then that resulting in him having the season high in points, that that was very exciting to see. But Dan, I think probably more exciting for us because, you know, his his package on offense is, you know, we're familiar with it. It's It's what is going to make him an all-star player here in the league, hopefully even this season. What's going to make him a superstar, though? is what we saw last night and we certainly saw it the game before against toronto which is his ability to lock dudes up on the perimeter when he is focused
1: when he's focused defensively uh i was i was paying attention to this last night and this has been a common theme throughout the season and and it even started really with me last season when i watched him play on ball defense if he's locked in, I have no question that he can rip the ball from anybody in the league. And I have so much confidence in it that last night there was a play where he, he got a steal and a layup when he was face guarding Jalen Green one-on-one. And I had no doubt, given the stance he was taking and how how locked in he was on that possession, I had no doubt that he was going to rip it from Jalen Green. There are so few players in the league that have that ability. Because even guys that are, are notoriously good defenders, you don't watch them play defense and believe they're on the precipice of a steal on every possession. You guys, Anthony young Edwards. Kawhi,
0: OGN, and Obi, And coincidentally, like the, the common thread between those three guys is they're all incredibly physically imposing to go along with their you know, instincts yes. as basketball players.
1: Yeah, it's it's the, the combination that's been talked about a lot with his offense, but it works in his favor on defense as well. His, his physical stature, his physical size, coupled with his unbelievable athleticism in lateral movement. So even a guy like Jalen Green, whose first step is very quick, is not a guy that's going to blow past Anthony Edwards if he's locked in. And to your point about OG and Kawhi Leonard, it's the same exact thing. It's like their ability to press up on you and be physically dominating while also not allowing you to get your first step because they're able to shift and get in front of the ball. Um, but yeah, no, when, he, when he's locked in defensively, and, and Chris Finch said as much after the game last night, he was really impressed with Anthony Edwards just because he played both sides of the court really effectively throughout the game. When he does that, and as he grows as a player, the bet you and I have made and talked about a lot is that we believe he will be a superstar because as he ages, he will do that more consistently like most of what we see with his inconsistency on the defensive end is just immaturity and he's 21 but when he does it in these isolated moments it is unbelievable to watch because it really shows you that this is the type of guy that you can you can build like a possible contending team around because very few guys in the league are able to to be that dominant on both sides yeah
0: and I think Houston especially is a good yardstick for anthony this is a funny thing to say because their team is so bad but it's a good yardstick for where anthony edwards is relative to his peers because the team has so many dudes at every single position but at on the guard line that came up in the same general age group as anthony edwards uh they have ty ty washington who is just a couple months younger than Ant. Jalen Green, their headliner is six months younger than Ant. Uh, Josh Christopher is about Anthony Edwards age and same with Deshaun Nix. And so that's, that's four guys right there that are all up until basically this point in the NBA where Ant has, you know, lapped them several times over peers of Anthony Edwards, you know, fellow, um high level aau circuit guys mcdonald's all american five stars you name it um and that's the thing when you're the guys the cream separates itself from the crop you know a little later on because these guys going against high schoolers it all kind of looks the same you know what i mean like they're all at that at that level they're all so much more physically imposing than you know, the dudes they would be playing in a varsity basketball game, or even an AAU game that, you know, the difference between Jalen Green and Anthony Edwards in that setting is maybe not as stark, but seeing it on an NBA court and frankly, seeing you could, I was, I was saying this to my wife last night. I was like, you pay attention to this. Like his, he, he came up with these guys and you can see he is taking an extra level of pleasure in showing them how much further he is in this than they are. And that's that's both as an individual basketball player, but also in that his great individual plays is, is also translating to team success.
1: Yeah, and, and we have Houston on the road. We're starting a little two-game road trip on Monday. We play Houston again in a back-to-back on the road. And up until this point, and Jim Pete brought this up on the broadcast, Jalen green has been terrible in the games against the Timberwolves, which Jim Pete attributed to the the defense played by Jaden McDaniels, who's been matched up one-on-one with him a lot. And I, and I do believe that Jade McDaniels is an awesome defensive player this year and has been matched every night against the best offensive option of, of the opposing team. But I agree with you that there was a clear signal being sent by Anthony Edwards with, with those young players, specifically Jalen green, that they are just simply not on his level. and, Anthony Edwards, a bunch of times, you know, not just that one play where he, where he picked his pocket, but throughout the night he was getting like switched onto him and took a great deal of pleasure in just making his life absolutely miserable and making everything really difficult on Jalen green. Um, yeah. It looked like he made Jalen green look like
0: a guy that, um you know, leveled up, you know, like the best fifth grader started playing against some seventh graders type of situation. Yes. And, you know, I mean put it this way like if you and I have a chip on our shoulders on behalf of a guy Anthony Edwards uh based on the pre-draft and then the amount of hype that the 21 draft guys got I mean imagine how Anthony Edwards the actual individual feels about that you know like I it like to this second to this moment right now I still frankly like we see him go up against all these 21 guys and I you know and shout out frankly shout out to Sam Vicini and his his awesome work i mean obviously like a lot of the draft takes that i would have are cr- directly cribbed from the work that him and uh Jonathan Javoni and previously Mike Schmidt would do um but he kind of infam- infamously for me i mean obviously the story hasn't been written yet but infamously said in the 2020 draft period that there would be six guys he would rather take number one than anybody in the twenty-one class than anybody in twenty. And I mean, there's there's a lot. Obviously, the twenty-one class is just like the twenty class and the twenty-two class shaping up to be a really really great draft class. But as far as just like the top 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 level talent, I I, I mean, it's 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 frankly not even close. And Anthony Edwards is also about the same age as all of those guys.
1: Yeah, and you know, just another thing to mention about the team is we went into the new year having lost on New Year's Eve. Uh, we were sixteen and twenty-one, five games under five hundred. This eight and three stretch has allowed us to get back to five hundred. So they're twenty-four. Yeah, and 24. And
0: about that, Dan. I think I think you know what I'm going to go with. They did that for spiritual reasons. The New Year's Eve game, and they just were like, <laughs> "Yeah, we got to." Gotta, you know, it's almost like, you know, you're you're deciding. You know, it's like a bachelor party or something. You know, it's like they're just like, all right, one last hurrah, you know, of being fuck ups. And then we're going to leave that all in 2022.
1: Yeah, and it feels it feels like in many ways that's exactly what's taking place. Um, Even the losses, there was one terrible loss that they suffered against Detroit. But other than that, the only other two (laughs) losses happened earlier this this very week. And they were both just like gut wrenching down to the wire losses to Utah and Denver. So like we hung with those teams yeah exactly. Yeah, it was coin flip, flip games, and so even the losses you know comparatively speaking to many of the losses that we've discussed from from twenty twenty two it's it's a vastly different you know set of circumstances um,
0: yeah for sure. I mean, not all losses and not all wins are equal in the spirit of the team, obviously they're all equal in the standings, but um in terms of how that either propels you forward or weighs you down going forward is absolutely. difference between the way you win and lose games going forward
1: yeah and i want to take this into a topic rick that i know the two of us really wanted to discuss in more detail because we had talked about it on the phone a little bit but we haven't brought this up on uh, any of our previous episodes so there was some news that broke earlier this week about carl anthony towns um carl anthony towns had expressed some frustration about the initial reporting on his calf injury the outlook from the, you know, from the very beginning, it was said to be maybe a four to six week injury. It was clearly uh, worse than was initially reported. Uh, Carl Anthony Towns said it was initially reported as a grade two, he believes it to be a grade three, uh, which can traditionally be, you know, a two or three month injury, not a four to six week injury. I only say that because it's unlikely that we're going to see Carl Anthony Towns in the near term. The other thing that's happened is Gobert has essentially been out for the last five games. He's been completely out for three. The previous two, uh, he played, I think, five minutes and 13 minutes, respectively, a right groin injury that's been nagging at him. So he's essentially been out for the last five games. And something that we've talked about dating back to the tough watch is we've lauded after teams that have this innate ability, you know, whatever it is, like whether they have the coaches to develop a certain type of player or a certain archetype or they just draft a certain player type very effectively but like we've lauded the Miami Heat for years at being able to just create rotational players specifically guards and wings from scratch undrafted guys g league guys two way guys and the timberwolves have clearly found their niche and it's in big men um and this doesn't even include what would have happened had we been able to retain walker kessler as part of the go bear trade which was another draft pick of wow. ours wow yeah true um, true but specifically with Gobert and Towns both out, opened the door to Nas Reed, who has been playing obviously all season, but is starting now. And then we have seen Luca Garza and Nate Knight play a lot, a lot more minutes. And Nate Knight last night had one of his better games of the season. He had 19 points. He was the big that we stuck with throughout the entirety of the second half. Prior to that, Luca Garza had a couple of big games. Nas Reed has had big nights. And it had me and you both thinking the Wolves clearly have found a way to organically create these competent bigs. Um, all three of those guys have have different skill sets, but one common theme is that they played the same position and they they all went through our G League system and most none of those guys were high-level draft picks. And so I wanted to kind of flesh out the idea, and again, this seems like uh, almost hyperbole to bring this up this way, but we have... A significant amount of capital invested in two centers who are currently not playing Carl Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert.
0: And Dan, that's capital both in their literal salaries, which already total to be, you know, in the seventy million dollar range and only climbing with uh with both of their numbers going up on the supermax, but also in unrealized assets. That that's really the key here of this conversation is if if we are positing that the Wolves' have an ability to cheaply produce effective, uh, passable big men, it's not so, what it, the argument we're we're not making is that they are just better with uh, Nate Knight, Luca Garza, Nas Reed versus Rudy Gobert and Karl Anthony Towns. It's we're trying to flesh out whether it could be true that those three centers plus whatever you realized from trades of Rudy and cat might be a better path forward.
1: Yeah. And I think it's instructive to look at what happened with a guy who did sign an extension with the team uh, coming from the G league program, which was Jordan McLaughlin. And Jordan McLaughlin is a guy who we've talked a lot about this year. He's obviously been out for a significant period of time with the calf strain and We've said that he is one of the most effective caretaker point guards. He plays a really pivotal role with the Timberwolves and would on most teams. We signed him to such an inexpensive contract extension. And the only reason we were able to do that is he was a guy who came through the G league system and fully understands that, you know, money now a contract and security now is vitally important and it gives the team a proper amount of leverage to negotiate a fair, you know, price for that player. And so unlike guys who are, you know, top 10 draft picks and come in with fairly, you know, sizable contracts their first, you know, their first contract, their rookie contract is actually like a pretty sizable deal. Yeah, so like with these guys that are That's, you yeah, know, it's a nice un, deal. undrafted free agents or second-round picks or guys who just work themselves up to the G League, like they're used to making so little money that we were able to get Jordan McLaughlin. And again, I'm sorry, I don't have the number pulled up in front of me, but is he making like 1.6 annually? Was that the number? Yeah.
0: Something like that. It is. Uh, it's okay, two, two. Two, but I mean, in a salary cap, that is... You know, only ever growing, and probably you know, just in a ballpark number going forward in like the one fifty range. I mean, yeah, that's one seventy fifth of your salary cap for a fifteen player team.
1: Yeah, and again, for for people listening to this that don't kind of understand how the G League works, most of those guys that are in the G League have contracts where they're making you know one hundred grand a year, one hundred fifty grand a year. Um, so when you get an offer from your team that allows you to lock in $2 million annually and make, you know, 15 to 20 times your current salary to you, that is an amazing deal. And it is like, it's, it's a really good thing for these guys. But the reason. Yeah. And I mean, yeah,
0: $2 million. Yeah. I mean, they could for almost every other job for the Timberwolves that puts you in the top, you know, 0.1% of earners uh, in the organization, obviously. You know this goes without saying. I mean, we'd all like yeah. to make two million dollars
1: a year. So the point about you know trying to build a roster spot with with guys like this again, the guys we're mentioning are these three bigs in some kind of a rotation. Is that whenever at time, it, whenever it comes time, even a guy like Nas Reed, who is far more proven, obviously, than Nate Knight or Luca Garza, um, a guy like Nate or uh, I'm sorry, Nas Reed that we've talked about, like we have posited that. We think probably a fair deal for him when he signs an extension, whether it be with the Timberwolves or otherwise, is probably somewhere in like the 12 to 16 million dollar annually, you know, and the reality is if like you tried to go on the free agent market and get, you know, a rim running center or a rim protector, you know, just a veteran guy you're going to have to pay that much either way. And the upside is pretty well capped with those types of players. And that's just how free agency works. These are established players who have made some money, who have options. So being able to create some of these rotation players or fill an entire spot with guys that are coming through your system is incredibly valuable financially speaking. But to your point about what it allows you to do throughout the rest of the roster It can't be understated how much money would be saved by the team being able to do this with even one spot, like one starting spot. If they could just find one starting spot that they could get insanely below market, it would allow them to properly disperse that money throughout the rest of the roster. And with Anthony Edwards being 21 years old, that's part of the other reason we wanted to kind of talk through this is the Gobert trade was a a win now trade that is an established player, a defensive player of the year two times over or three times over. And so it was a win now trade. But the benefit of having Anthony Edwards as your cornerstone is it's a 21-year-old player. You have time to work through this and build the roster that you think best capitalizes on his skill set and also, you know, best has an opportunity to compete and win championships. The thing this year and and we talked about this before we went live not only are we not saying that this is a substitute for the performance of the guys like Carl Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert, what we're saying is at this point they have proven to at least be serviceable enough to get on the floor, and they're so early in their development and are still so young that you have to assume that they're going to get slightly better as the years go. And what does that look like, and is that sufficient enough at that position to warrant you know the possibility of of unloading some of these some of these max players? And I think the
0: key really is positional scarcity. And it, it just so happens that this is the position where there's the greatest amount of supply. And that that is probably a, a should have been a, a really big argument that they had when they were considering going after Rudy um, or even whether they're considering giving Cap that extension, which I think that, you know, Obviously, I would say the vast majority of people at this point with given turns of the Rudy trade would, you know, take a mulligan on that. The cat one, I think you they would do it every time uh, because I think it's going to prove to be a very tradable piece. But I think that that should have come into greater consideration, um, just the amount of supply there is at that position and a diverse you know, group of players coming up. I think one of the real lessons about the skill sets of nas nate knight and luca garza is this is uh the first generation of players that came up in an environment where center was devalued and so their skill set is more perimeter oriented and just a lot more diverse you know i i talk about this i usually talk about nas reed in the greater context of how many good players there are in the nba you know the idea that your third string center could be taking step back threes and euro stepping for dunks is i think illustrative of just how much overall talent in the league but if you really zoom in on you know the center position that you could have a starting level center um and if you lined all the centers up that there could be like 35 starting level centers in the nba there's not 35 starting level point guards or wings microwave scorers in the NBA. It's just, it's the position with the greatest amount of supply and frankly, diversity of skill. Like whatever your center, this is what's so interesting about the notion that center is devalued because it's something you and I don't agree with is in many ways, what your center can and cannot do sets the parameters of what your team does on both sides of the ball. And so you know, when Nas Reed is in the game versus Rudy Gobert, for example, you know, on both ends of the floor, that is reflected in the way that the rest of the other guys play. Um, And that just kind of, you know, is intuitively makes sense that, you know, if you have Rudy Gobert offensively, he's going to be involved in every play by setting screens and rolling hard to the rim, trying to get offensive rebounds. And if it's Nas Reed, you're going to be playing five out and you're going to be playing fast and you're going to be swinging the ball around and the same goes on defense. And so, you know, I think that is a huge part of the consideration as well. And honestly, if we were in the same, if point guard mirrored what center did in terms of supply, we wouldn't even be having this like conversation about, well, should we keep the low? We'd be like, we'd pack his bags. You know, it's just that this is a unique situation and I say all of that to say that I have to imagine there's just more and more of these guys that are going to be coming up,
1: um, having been raised in this environment. Nas and Nate Knight have the most similar skill sets, but between the three, you have Nas, Reed, all of them can shoot the three, to your point about being able to stretch and being perimeter oriented. But the other thing is, like, Luca Garza is more of a traditional center outside of the, his ability to shoot. Um He's more of a scorer. He's not a great defensive player, which is also true of Nate Knight, but they're young. Uh, but Luka Garza has some some good footwork, some some traditional low post ability. He's a bigger body. Nate Knight has the ability to handle. He can get out on the break. Um, he can shoot a little bit, not really refined with low post ability, but he does fight for rebounds. And then you have Nas Reed, who quite honestly plays a lot more like what a traditional like three would have been in, in the previous NBA where to your point about being able to Euro step and go off the dribble and take step backs. And so it is a, it's positional overlap in the way that they all play center, but it's not, it is not so much skill set overlap, which, you know, for however long we're without Carl Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert, it allows Chris Finch to kind of get creative, play whoever's hot that night or play heavy minutes to somebody based on matchup. And that we saw that last night in Houston, like it was a Nate night kind of game. He was playing really hard. The ball was going in for him. He was knocking down shots. And so he played almost the entirety of the second half and Nas Reed hardly got back on the floor. Um, yeah. And the Rockets, the Rockets are definitely a Nate night kind of
0: opponent and a Nas Reed right. kind of an opponent. And that's really, you know, the tricky thing is because when, when there are deficiencies and on, frankly, it's, and this is, uh, this it's it's unfortunate for cat it's we're not missing his archetype because nate knight and nas are you know bronze metal versions of cat you know and so yeah but we don't have the bronze metal version of rudy gobert so that's the part that there have been a lot of times in rudy's absence um and even you know when he's available, where maybe his rest gets cut short because it's just so blatantly obvious that they need uh, some
1: statue in front of the hoop. Um, Utah and Denver this week, it was killer to not have Rudy Gobert.
0: It was absolutely awful. And that, that was a good example of what you would be looking at more regularly if you did not have Rudy and Kat to a lesser degree. But frankly, Kat would have held up a lot better in the post against uh, Nikola Jokic than Nas did. I mean, he's just a lot bigger than Nas. And um, yeah, so that is, that's something to think about as well. But of course, and this goes into the part where you talk about the unrealized gains. If you traded those guys, you don't know what you would be acquiring for them. I mean, that's just so much salary that would need to be matched. And it's easier to do those trades in the summer because there's more money around. You can definitely do, we could, you know, theoretically execute a lopsided trade where he traded one of those dudes into uh, either some or all of a team's salary cap space. And we don't take $40 million worth of salary back. But if you're trading $70 million worth of guys, it stands to reason that you're going to get a lot of guys back. And so the real question becomes, and you know, and this is a frankly unknown and it's probably not even worth really talking too much about is, are with the pieces that you would be getting in addition to, obviously I think you'd prioritize getting some picks back after the Rudy trade, uh, would the pieces you'd be getting, allow you to augment, uh, you know, this admittedly weaker defensive center group in a way that you're net even that that's a very open question. Um, especially because the team already, you know, has some wings that they're building around, but I think, You know, clearly you would be hoping to acquire some big, like every other team in the NBA, some big wings that are just not of the stature of player that Rudy and Kat are, but fit a little bit better with what the team is doing. And so you end up with a net positive because of
1: that. Well, and to be honest, Rick, so as I've thought through this, You know, we mentioned on a an earlier episode the idea that Connolly was playing 3D chess uh, when he made the Rudy trade, with the idea being Rudy is the kind of center I want to I want to have on my team as we build this out, making cat disposable. And cat couldn't be traded until the following summer. So you just deal with the clunkiness in the short term with the plan being to unload him. What this this absence for cat um, has done for the team it's allowed them to play some of these guys who would arguably be the Cat replacement, at least for now, to see if you could replicate some of the the aspects of Cat's game that you really miss. And to your point about them being bronze metal versions, they've been good enough to open the door to that possibility here in July where we look to unload Carl Anthony Towns. I think we would obviously do that way before we would ever consider the idea of dumping Rudy Gobert. But my point in bringing that up is you mentioned how many guys would have to come back well as this team builds out the reason i've become less concerned now it is a short term concern you have to bring the guys in that day so as soon as you execute that trade all those pieces come back right then and then you have to figure out you know what to do from that point forward but this is a team that you know Kyle's on a 2 year deal Torian has 2 years left including this season so next year they they'll be an expiring and then a bunch of guys, you know, Jalen Noel is obviously contract extension eligible, and Nas is, is eligible. And then you have Austin Rivers and Bryn Forbes that are just, they signed one-year veteran minimums that'll be off. So the reason I bring that up is if you could find what you, be, you consider to be the right trade partner for a guy like Carl Anthony Towns, it would allow you to bring in some of the guys that you may struggle historically to land in free agency either Oh impossible to land in free agency for the Wolves. Yeah, and so and and again it's not as though there aren't going to there isn't going to be a need for replacement players for some of the guys that are on the current roster. So I actually think what this has done, at least for me, is if you keep Rudy Gobert, that's fine. And I think they will. And again, if if it becomes a bigger problem or you think you're not getting you're not getting the subsequent performance for the money spent, then you can look at a trade down the road when he gets closer to the end of the contract. But I think the Carl Anthony towns thing, it's become really clear in his absence that it is, it is on the table for him to be moved. Um, And it, it' a little superfluous. I mean,
0: I think the, I mean, frankly, like the team is also a lot better than they were in the vast majority of, of the years where Carl was the best player on the team. But still having said that, I mean, kind of established their floor with Ant and a bunch of young dudes as being around a 500 team. And I would say uh, slightly above that with, with a Rudy Gobert that is still figuring his way out. And so, I mean, I think, you know, I, I would expect them for the rest of the season, let's just assume relative health with Rudy. I think they're going to win about like 60% of their games. So they've already established... Like a pretty high floor without cat, which is not not a great thing for
1: his standing on the team well yeah and and when we talk about the money, this is also an important thing to mention is the length of cat's contract versus go Bears Cat has a two hundred and thirty million dollar contract. Rudy has a remaining one hundred and twenty three a paltry one twenty three Yeah, in in comparison, yeah. And and so it is it is for me, at least as a fan of the team, it's become really clear that moving Carl Anthony Towns, I think before you would have you would have thought long and hard about it because of the impact that he made on the team and how good he's been for as long as he's been, and he's, you know, a hometown guy. He's been with the team since we drafted him. But when you look at it prudently, you almost are being negligent not to look hard at moving. Carl Anthony towns at this point point. and the center development that, that we we've done, you know, organizationally has allowed that to be possible. And it's also, I'll say this. Yeah. I think Dan, there's just
0: a lot of risk of losing Noz Reed because it's not just that he could continue to get better and you have the egg on your face there. It's that he's already earning, you know, that that salary that you had posited he would get he's already currently earning that and then still has the runway to way out earn that. And so that's the biggest risk is that you let a guy walk out. It, it's a bigger risk than what we talked about with D'Lo. You know, it's like you let a guy walk out the door. He signs yes. a $15 million a year deal consistently as like a 16 and 8 guy. And meanwhile, you have $70 million, <clears throat> pardon me, 70 to $80 million worth of center on your team. Yeah, uh, when sixteen would do, you know that's that's a risk.
1: That's a huge risk. Yeah, and to your point about the upside potential in breed, like he's twenty three years old, and Cat is twenty seven, going to be twenty eight here shortly. Yeah,
0: Cat is who he is, and Cat's a very good player. But he is, he's definitely is who he is.
1: Yeah, and so what this, what this means, you know, at least in my opinion, I'd be curious to get yours for the team moving forward. As I actually have gotten to the point, especially with how pragmatic Tim Conley has historically been. I would be very surprised if Carl Anthony Towns was on the roster to start next season. And I, and I do mean that I would, I would be surprised and the pressure that's going to be applied again, if some of these guys weren't extension eligible, it would allow us the runway to play it out a little bit further. But because of what you just mentioned, the risk of losing Nas Reed for nothing, I think the team would look at this and just go, well, that, that price that we would have to pay to retain Carl Anthony Towns and let Nas walk, is just not palatable and it's not smart business. So regardless of what we think of Carl Anthony Towns, it's not really a shot at him as a player. It's just for our organization, it actually no longer makes sense to retain him. Like he's the guy that would have the most value and he's the guy we can most easily replace.
0: Yeah. And a player of Naz's stature makes a lot more sense as being the second center of a two center group with Rudy than Kat does uh, from the standpoint of like, you're obviously going to start games when, Rudy is is absent and also you're going to take all of the backup center minutes as well as play like 10 minutes with Rudy and yep. hey look at that you're up to 28 minutes a game you know and it's the real you know the thing is and this is kind of where I'm at on a Carl trade more than anything is it's just the right type of package has to be available um, you really want the same thing that everybody wants if you're going to trade Carl Anthony Towns you want a a burly wing and you want to make up the difference between him and cat in picks and you know and that's that's a, obviously makes it very difficult because those players unlike the center position are extremely scarce and punch way above their weight punch above their impact in terms of trade value so what i'm really thinking about is like you know can you manufacture a trade where the principles are cat and OG Ananobi
1: and then how many picks makes up the difference, if any. No, and that's that's what makes a, a cat trade so difficult because again we can't get into the heads of, of the the decision makers uh, in the front office, but you're right. Like there's the OG Ananobi trade where you would look at on its face and go, Yeah, you're probably not getting a lot of draft capital back. Um, you know, maybe Yep. And you're getting the worst player. And you're getting the worst player um or you look at packages that maybe are heavier in draft capital but you're getting a bunch of uh, dimes back for a dollar essentially and those are trades that historically just yep. do not work for the team getting the worst players ever um so you're right it is but again this is why i've been so in, i've been so enthusiastic since the start of the year not just because of the winning but i think what the team has done with these player absences like the glass half full look at the the injury plague season for this team is that it has clarified a lot of stuff around Anthony Edwards like for instance Jade McDaniel's impact is so obvious and and it's become abundantly clear that he's going to be a long-term piece alongside Anthony Edwards Um,
0: and an expensive one which is not irrelevant to this conversation
1: absolutely absolutely and it's also you know made really clear that you know, Anthony Edwards will grow as a player, but it is really important that he have a guy like Nas Reed on his team that is just a center that moves really quickly. Um, because ant likes to play with pace. And so, you know, he'll he'll develop like Rudy Gobert's offensive clunk- clunkiness is obviously offset by his defensive impact. Um
0: Yeah, also and Dan his efficiency. That's that's one of the key things that I've learned about Rudy is it looks so can it can look so bad while simultaneously being, being the most effective <laughs> offense we have.
1: Yeah. Yes. Yes, exactly. So like Rudy Gobert is one of those players that like the chemistry that gets talked about on broadcast constantly that will continue to grow as time passes. I have no question about that. Um it'll get it'll look better and better as time goes, but it's important that Anthony Edwards has a guy like Nas where he can play some minutes with a center that is going to pop roll and is going to be able to do some stuff on the perimeter to put pressure on the def- different way. Um, so I think it's been really eye-opening to watch. And again, this was the criticism of a lot of the national guys that covered the sport, was that making a go bear trade and making it a win-now trade when your best player is 21 doesn't make a lot of sense. What I've liked about the way the season has played out is it's allowed a lot of the guys that are are kind of in camp, if you will, whether it be due to age or, or just time spent, you know, just guys that he's comfortable with. There's been a lot of minutes spent playing with those guys. And it's helped us see, you know, had, had you listened back to our episodes prior to the new year? Like there was a lot of question that you and I had about, well, you know, Jalen Noel played really well in like October, November. It's like, do we need to worry about an extension for him? I've gotten to a point as a fan where I'm like, well, Nas Reed's extension. I almost see as like a mandatory step. I'd be pretty disappointed if we didn't find a way to do it. Jalen Noel is expendable if he, if he has to be, you know Um, but that I, I didn't think that even a few months ago. And, and because of the injuries, we've been able to see these guys play minutes in a way that they probably wouldn't have had we been healthy. And so it's been, it's been a very clarifying season to kind of see the direction the team needs to take. And also, you know, the types of players that need to be around and,
0: yeah. And this is where you just add another layer of complication to a already fraught and complicated situation, which is that of the two centers that you would, you know, you'd look to move Rudy and Cat. Cat is the one that plays like the centers that Ant likes. And so you talk about, You're you right. know, so that, that also makes it very, very difficult. And, you know, part of that, that's, that's an art. You don't really know. I, I definitely don't. Um, I'm not. uh what's the word? I'm not jealous of the front office and the coaching staff for trying to figure that out because the truth is that Ant needs to meet them somewhere on that and mature a little bit, you know, with time to to be able to play with with a guy like Rudy and see how much that would benefit him. But also, you know, from the team side, understanding that this is your golden goose and we're going to have to make you know, and happily make some concessions to what this guy wants as part of a part, a, hopefully a very, very long term partnership. And so that that is a really tough thing. Is you know, and like I said, I'm not I'm not jealous. I mean, it's knowing when to say when. This is all to say that the the team just has a crazy amount of variance in their roster going forward. Um, because when you talk about such a large sums of money we didn't even really talk about the fact that D'Angelo Russell has 30 million coming off of the books. So we're really talking about the potential of replacing a hundred million dollars worth of salary for next season. Um, And it's, and it's tough, especially given the organizational history of, you know, ineptitude to, to look at a situation that is objectively one of the best situations they have and want to, trade that for a great unknown that could be better it'd be risky and that that is all another way of saying that this is probably a less than one percent chance situation um where they both get moved but i would say you know in september it's a zero percent chance so it has it has trended up and and that's a credit to nas reed and it's a credit to nate Knight, luca garza the developmental staff. And then just like, you know, the synergy between the G League team and the Wolves. It's uh we've been talking about this on our podcast for many, many years. And in a wishing way for the Timberwolves. Like, you know, it's just we're leaving so much meat on the bone. This is the type of thing you have to do when you are in a market like Minnesota. And uh, you know, this is again kudos to to Gerson Rosas who left here with a bunch of knives sticking out of his back. Um, and and thankfully so, because we're in just a much better front office situation now than we were before, but credit to him and his original team of Ryan Saunders for laying the groundwork for that, because in a lot of ways what they are doing now is a continuation of what those guys started. Whereas pretty much every other time in the history of this team, when you got a new Pobo and you have a new coach, it's it's starting from ground zero. And so this is, that's an encouraging thing about the team is, you know, we're really now, and you just have to look at how many years J Mac Nas, Jalen Noel have been on the team. They've been on the team for this, their fourth season, which in the NBA is an eternity. Um, we are really in year four of this, this project. And it's, 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 frankly, it's, it's been more, um, professionally done and, uh, more sustainable than any other Wolves era we've had.
1: Yeah. And I want to piggyback on one point you made this. This is being felt um, like take, for example, Dallas. It's being felt with Luca. When you have Anthony Edwards, uh, the pressure is on every day. It's on every month. It's on every season. You do not have time to wait. And every move you make has to be extremely well calculated because the risk of losing that player is so high and going in this will be a summer where there is going to be some movement and the wolves a have to execute these whether it be trades, signings, you know, extensions. They have to do all these things incredibly well to avoid catastrophe and this you're playing with live ammo. And so that's the other reason why I think it's, it's really important that we have these discussions in advance because again, right now there isn't a lot of talk about, you know, again, nobody's going to talk about the Timberwolves specifically more often than not, especially not going to look into this and say, I wonder if they're going to part with, you know, two max centers. But I think the reason it's important to do this is it seems like, uh, you know, a sky is falling kind of conversation and it seems like, um, you know, hyperbole to go through this, but it's important because this is how fast this team is going to have to make decisions. Like they do not have the benefit of time. They are not going to be able to wait. They're going to have to make quick, swift decisions, and they're going to have to execute incredibly well. So we'll see. I mean it really starts with the deadline coming up here in February. Um, to see what they're what they're able to do with the Angelo Russell. Um, you know, because it, it's it's unlikely for a lot of reasons you and I believe that he remains on the team past the deadline only because they have to retain the salary slot you've uh, referred to on, on previous episodes. That's kind of the first domino to fall. Like, what does that look like? And if you don't and you can't retain the salary slot or you can't negotiate a reasonable extension, like probably fumbled on your first, you know, your first attempt at at kind of building out this roster. So we'll see it's going to be. By the time we record next, uh, we'll be closer to the deadline, which is February 9th. Um, but, you know, just a couple weeks away from, you know, what is always historically a ton of player movement in the league. I wanted to touch real quick on the next, you know, probably between now and the next time we record from now till the start of February. So from now till the end of the month, it is a really tough stretch of games. Uh, we're on the road for Houston which is Monday, that's our next game. That's the only easy game that we've got. Then we go road, New Orleans, home Memphis, home Sacramento, home Sacramento, home Golden State. Um, So just like we've said on every episode, I feel like when you're a 500 team and it's as tight uh, a race in the West as we see today, every week, every game matters. This is a particularly tough stretch of games. One of those, we play Memphis, Sacramento on a back-to-back, which is just brutal for us. So we. Hopefully we'll be coming on our next episode and talking about um, an impressive stretch of games for the Wolves where they're able to win some of these games and beat some of the teams that are ahead of them in the standings. But that is far from a given. And uh, I hope we're not coming back on to talk about a team below, you know, three or four games below 500 uh, by this time, you know, Monday of next week.
0: I think that they're well on the path to, to land probably where a lot of people thought they would, um, maybe not just an overall wins, but I think that that has everything to do with how the league has talent dispersed right now. And so I think you just have to kind of prorate that a little bit and understand that, you know, the three, four seeds in the Western conference are probably going to win less than 50 games. Um, And that is a function of just how strong the overall league is. But when you look at the standings, and obviously this gets talked about a lot, you know, you win one, you're, you know, you're now at fifth. you lose one, you're at 12. That's obviously true, but also you got to soberly look at the fact that the Sacramento Kings have the three seed right now. So, and kudos to Sacramento Kings actually watch them a lot. I like watching them a lot. They have definitely found an identity that works. I mean, I, I, nobody is scared of the sacramento kings (laughs) it's a three seed so you know if you want to tell me that the wolves can string some wins together and get to a place where they i i think it's still well on the table for them to you know host a host a playoff series in the first round four seed
1: yeah i i mentioned to you on the phone earlier this week and uh it was prior to last night's game but it also you know I, I mentioned that I felt like what was coming up was an offensive explosion from Anthony Edwards. Like I, it was kind of percolating, I felt. And that was prior to the Toronto game where, you know, he just didn't have a great offensive night. But then he had last night's 44 point performance. I feel like what we're heading into is a stretch, especially with the carrot being a possible all star appearance for Anthony Edwards. I feel like we're headed for a couple of weeks where Anthony Edwards. Is a, is a talking point league-wide. Um, and that would happen if he explodes offensively and carries the team, but more importantly, carries the team to winning a lot of these games. So if that is to happen, because that is my prediction, um, I am a fan of the team, so it's a little rosier than I'm sure, you know, a non-fan would probably agree with. But that is what I see happening in the next couple of weeks. And if it does, I agree with you. I actually think we're, we're setting the table for a run at, at hosting a playoff series, which would be incredible, um, especially given the way things have gone this year. for the
0: Yeah, team. I... For sure. And I think a lot of people are gripping the wheel way too tight in general, but gripping the wheel too tight about Anthony Edwards being an all-star. Anthony Edwards is going to be an all-star, whether he is just one of the 12 guys that gets chosen on the first run or, and this is the reason why people are gripping the wheel too hard. There's always like two to three to four injury replacements. So it's really not 12 all-stars. It usually ends up being like 15 all-stars. And uh, he he's going to get one of those spots.
1: Yep. Absolutely. No, I agree with you. I, the all-star thing just, I mean, it wouldn't matter to me regardless. Um, but it is one of those things that, you know, as a fan of the team, it is good that that's hanging over Ant because again, as like a, as a very young player and, uh, and an immature player, those types of things actually really do matter to the player and it makes total sense, but it can propel him in a way oh, that yeah. I feel like he could really kind of take over, which again, is kind of what we need at this point in the season, Um, I feel like if we went on a a good stretch of games here and we're able to comfortably get ourselves, you know, a few games over 500, then we could be staring at, you know, games, multiple games of separation between ourselves and the play in, which would be excellent. Absolutely, man.
0: Well put. Really enjoyed this conversation. And Hey, you know, we got Houston again, hopefully, you know, knock on all the wood, you know, we can take care of business because that was one thing about last night's game is like, felt like we were kicking the shit out of them and I'd look and they'd be losing still but you know I think there's good times yeah. ahead hopefully Rudy gets healthy and they can est- you know I I shouldn't even say establish a rhythm I mean they just were straight up playing good with him uh in the new year prior yeah. to his injury I mean he's yeah. been great so yeah. but uh I would really like to see him come back because that's such a that's the biggest unknown of this team we'd really like to see some type of fusion between the joy ant plays with without rudy but also the effectiveness that ant plays with rudy if we could bridge that gap then i don't i think we could stop having conversations about whether he should be traded as well this summer
1: absolutely all right well you take care good to talk to you and we'll be back in a week
0: all right thank you